Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Clippings Podcast. We're reviewing nail papers and sharing them with you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hello. All right. I will be sharing with you an article today titled Case 39-2023, A 43-Year-Old Woman with Chronic Diarrhea, Hair Loss, and Nail and Skin Changes. The authors are Jimmy Lai et al., and it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in December of 23. It's not every day that the New England Journal case involves a nail finding, so I wanted to highlight this one. This is a case report of a 43-year-old woman living in Hong Kong who was admitted to the hospital with abdominal pain and diarrhea. She had been previously healthy until six months before when she developed this diffuse abdominal pain and non-bloody diarrhea that was happening up to 10 times a day. She had reduced appetite and had significant weight loss. And she'd also noticed gradually darkening skin on her face, arms, and legs, as well as thinning hair and fingernail and toenail changes. There was no family history of any GI, autoimmune, or other hereditary diseases. On her exam, she had patchy, non-scarring alopecia worst on the vertex scalp and symmetric brown macules on the cheeks, palms, and fingers, and her nails were very abnormal with thin nail plates, distal nail plate crumbling, distal onycholysis, and proximal onychomedesis. Ultimately, her GI issues were summarized as a protein-losing enteropathy. So the authors then walk you through this full workup that she had and the various specialists discuss her case and walk you through their differential diagnosis and how it fits with each one of her presenting symptoms. Their differential list was long, ranging from Crohn's to Bichette's to adrenal insufficiency, heavy metal poisoning, and so on. But the final diagnosis was Cronkite Canada syndrome, which is a rare acquired syndrome in which patients will have multiple hamartomatous polyps throughout the GI tract and many skin and nail changes, including for the skin, the alopecia, and hyperpigmentation. Patients usually present with a protein-losing enteropathy as their dominant GI symptom, and they do not necessarily have to have well-developed cutaneous manifestations at the time that they initially present. And those skin and nail changes can evolve throughout the disease and are reversible. Treatments generally involve immune suppression with steroids and steroid-sparing agents like azathioprine or cyclosporin, as well as treating any H. pylori in patients with a positive test. So this particular patient did test positive for H. pylori and was treated with triple therapy for that, but she did not overall respond to prednisone or cyclosporin so was treated with infliximab, which did lead to some improvement. Unfortunately, she had a very complicated medical course, and she died from respiratory failure two and a half years after her initial diagnosis. This is a rare condition, but I wanted to bring it up so we're all aware of it and don't miss it. And I have to admit, I had sort of mismemorized this as a genetic disorder, but it's non-familial. And in actuality, it's mostly seen in adults in their 50s, 
men more often than women, and the majority of the reported cases have come from Japan. The nail changes that have been reported range from soft, thin, triangular-shaped nail plates to onychomedesis, transverse ridging, coilonychia, and onycholysis, and sometimes it involves all 20 nails. So keep this in mind with any patient presenting with an undiagnosed nail dystrophy, especially if they also have GI symptoms, alopecia, and pigmentary changes. Yeah, I'm glad you discussed this case because I also forget about this syndrome all the time. It's one of those that comes up on testing rarely. So I've really only ever seen it in a question stem. Exactly. But now you'll be ready. (laughs) All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about. Okay. This month I chose the article looking beyond the Hutchinson sign, a retrospective study of clinical factors indicating the presence and invasiveness of nail unit melanoma in patients with longitudinal melanonychia by doctors Lee et al., published in the Journal of Dermatologic Surgery in January 2024. As some background, longitudinal melanonychia can be classified in three categories, exogenous pigmentation, melanocyte activation, and melanocyte proliferation. Exogenous pigmentation includes bacterial and mycotic pigmentation, Melanocyte activation is when a normal number of melanocytes produce melanin, which can be due to infection, chemotherapy, or friction, among other causes. Melanocyte proliferation includes nevi, lentigenes, or nail unit melanomas. In patients with dark skin, nail unit melanoma accounts for approximately 20% of melanomas and is often diagnosed late, leading to a five-year survival of 30% compared to a five-year survival of 70 to 90% with all other cutaneous melanomas. Levitt and colleagues proposed the ABCDEF of subungual melanoma, a screening system aimed at aiding in the early detection of nail unit melanomas. A stands for age, with a peak incidence in the fifth to seventh decades of life. B stands for brown to black band color with a breadth of three millimeters or more and variegated borders. C stands for change in nail band. D stands for digit most commonly involved, just a thumb. E stands for extension of the pigment or Hutchinson sign. And F stands for family history of melanoma. Other significant factors include multicolor pigmentation, blurred lateral borders, triangular shape of the band, and nail plate splitting. There have been only a few small studies to validate clinical factors suggestive of nail unit melanoma, and these authors aimed to provide further evidence for the clinical factors indicating nail unit melanoma and study which factors were related to invasiveness and invasion depth. A retrospective review of patients from 2005 to 2021 was performed. Benign longitudinal melanonychia was diagnosed either by nail biopsy or if regular follow-ups with clinical photos did not show any change. Nail unit melanoma was diagnosed by biopsy and patients presenting with nodular melanoma were excluded. For patients with single-digit involvement, clinical photographs were analyzed for band color, color intensity, presence of variegation, 
bandwidth divided into thirds, triangular shape of the band, nail plate splitting, blurred lateral borders, and presence of Hutchinson sign. Variegation was defined as the presence of multiple lines in different color shades, and the triangular shape was defined as gradual widening of the band at the base as compared with the distal end. In total, 97 patients with benign longitudinal melanonychia and 80 with biopsy-proven nail unit melanoma were included in the analysis. The mean age of patients with melanoma was 53.5 years with a range from 21 to 87 years old. And this average was higher than the benign longitudinal melanonychia group. As expected, the nail melanoma group had a higher proportion of single-digit involvement compared to the benign longitudinal melanonychia group. The first digit was the most common site, and the hand was more involved than the foot in those with nail unit melanoma. The factors that differed between the benign and malignant group were as follows. The malignant group had higher band color intensity, higher proportion of black and multicolor bands, variegation, width involving one-third or greater of the whole nail, nail splitting, Hutchinson sign, and recent band change. Interestingly, the rates of triangular band and blurred lateral borders were not different between the two groups. Ultimately, the factors indicating malignancy included high band color intensity, variegation, nail plate splitting, Hutchinson sign, and band change. There were 55 patients with melanoma in situ and 22 with invasive melanoma. Nail plate splitting had a positive correlation with invasion, while blurred lateral borders had a negative correlation. Nail plate splitting was the only significant factor correlating with invasion depth, and those with splitting had an invasion depth of 0.734 millimeters greater than those without. The takeaway from this article is to strongly consider performing a nail biopsy in patients presenting with a high band color intensity, variegation, nail plate splitting, Hutchinson sign, and band change. Nail plate splitting should raise greater alarm as it indicates more destruction of the nail matrix from a potentially invasive melanoma. That is a very helpful analysis. And I hope that we can see people before they get to the nail plate splitting phase. Mm -hmm. All right, Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention Please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees and let us know how we're doing and which articles you'd like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders. <laughs> <laughs>